Welcome to Sky Women. I'm your host, Dr. Carolyn Moyers, a wife, mom, and board-certified OB-GYN. This is a place to educate, empower, and inspire women. Join us each week as we share the power of women's stories. Real women, real stories, real inspiration. Put on your stretchy pants. Let's get going. Hi, friends. Welcome back. Welcome to Sky Women. Today, we are chatting with Lauren Singh, widow, boy mom, nurse, and my plus one at Sky Women's Health. Lauren has a passion for women's health that shines in her care of patients and, quite frankly, in the way she answers the phone. That is actually what we bonded over as our now five-year-olds played at a birthday party in preschool. Join me as we hold space today for Lauren as she shares her story. Trigger warning, we will be discussing the death of a spouse and the grief process. Paul Singh was a maternal fetal medicine specialist. Lauren and Paul met when they were both at John Peter Smith Hospital in Fort Worth. Lauren was a nurse and he was an OB-GYN resident. They moved to Kansas City where he completed his maternal fetal medicine fellowship and then to Lubbock where he practiced for three years before passing. I was so impacted by Lauren's story of losing her husband She has done so much work over the years with great community resources that I really want others to know about. There is power in our shared lived experiences, and Lauren's story of love, loss, strength, and resilience is one for the books. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you. Thank you. Where did you go to nursing school? So I went to nursing school at Midwestern State in Wichita Falls, and then um, knew that I wanted to come back to Fort Worth and ended up back at JPS for my very first nursing gig. Okay. Yes. And so how long were you at JPS? Oh gosh. Um, About two and a half years. Okay. And at what point did you meet your love? Okay. So I met him, my gosh, almost as soon as I started. So I had met him in January of 2009. He was a second year OB resident and, um, met him, but then we didn't really start dating until May. And I say it was because he was awkward. It would not, <laughs> would not do anything. So. He wouldn't ask you out. No, it was just flirting back and forth. And finally I was like, Hey man, like, let's go get dinner. <laughs> and he was like, okay. <laughs> so you asked him out. Yes. I just said, look, I can't keep doing this. <laughs> it's just either it's going somewhere. Or it's not. Right. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Okay. So during your time in early nursing, I mean, you're playing the field, you're, you're dating, you're enjoying life. Yeah. Mostly doing a little bit of dating, making really good friends at JPS, right. Going out with them and really just adjusting to having a quote, real job, right. Being a big girl, being a big girl, paying <laughs> bills, being somewhere at six forty-five in the morning. Right. Um, that was really my whole life was kind of just working and getting used to that. Right. Yeah. Okay. So when the relationship progressed from first date to marriage, tell us a little bit about that and where you guys moved on to. Hey, so first date wine bar, of course, (laughs) then, um, we just kind of both said like, Hey, we're not 20 anymore. We don't really want to date other people. And it just kind of went from there. Paul was staying busy with a residency. He had a year and a half left and I knew that he was going to be doing a fellowship. So we were waiting on where he was going to match for his fellowship, matched in Kansas city. 
we were not married when we moved up to Kansas City and I had kind of told him okay like I'm moving my whole life for you like let's get married and he was just okay with it and fine with it but was not um in a hurry yeah totally not in a hurry and so I had said about a year and a half into Kansas City I said look man (laughs) I'm not going to be your girlfriend forever like we either get married or like I'm I'm just I'm gonna have my own life you know and all he said was okay let's get married all it took was (laughs) me I would say strong arming is not the right word (laughs) but encouraging okay so he was focused on his training and it just wasn't the top priority in the forefront right you know right and he's like well I didn't mean to not say that I wouldn't marry you he's like I'm just working and I'm doing all these extra shifts because we were in a crazy amount of debt you know and so he was just working that was it working and training and so so Paul was not a romantic no (laughs) a great (laughs) gift giver fantastic gift giver but not romantic. I mean, in the day-to-day stuff, no. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I was like, if you will just fold that laundry, I will just be the happiest person. <laughs> That's romance. You get all of the points. All, all of the, the things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you guys get married, get married. and he finishes fellowship. fellowship. Uh-huh. And you move to? Lubbock. Lubbock. So was he with Texas Tech, or were you no. in a private practice? He was in a private practice. And the funny part is, is that we knew we had wanted to come back to Texas. I did not. I wanted to stay in the Midwest, but Paul said, no, no, we have to go back to Texas. So I was looking in one of his OBGYN magazines, and it said that there was a need for a perinatologist in Lubbock. And I said, hey, look at this. And he said, basically, he said, don't waste your time. I've already reached out to them and I haven't heard anything back. And I was like, okay. I said, like, do you care if I email her? This was a recruiter. And he's like, no, go for it. But I'm telling you, I've already done it. I said, okay. So I emailed her. I said, hi, I'm Lawrence Ng. My husband is Paul. He is going to be graduating his MFM fellowship probably in about a year. It was a year and 15 months. And, um, you know, I can pass his info along to you. I can send you his CV. And I mean, the next day she replies and I text him. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're not going to believe this. I got in touch with her. And, um, it really just went from there. They flew us both down, interviewed him, all of that. And then, you know, he had signed with a medical group, private medical group. And then from there, we just finished out his fellowship and moved to Lubbock. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so you had lived in Fort Worth. You grew up in Fort Worth. Correct. So going from Kansas city out to oh. West Texas. Oh, it's a bit of a culture shock. Yeah. Like total <laughs> culture shock. And I went from having a backyard that was like a pond and a lake and green grass to, I say like a dirt pit with a few sprigs of grass. <laughs> I mean, and I, you know, I did residency in Amarillo, so yeah, it's oh. really smelly there. Mm-hmm. It comes and goes. Yes. I say that's the smell of money. Is <laughs> Lubbock that smelly as well? I don't think it's as smelly, but smelly and dusty. Yeah. Nonetheless. So <laughs> dusty. Okay. Lauren shared with me the story the other day, which I think is hilarious. Do you mind sharing the story? No. Okay. So, well, first of all, you guys went through, you went through infertility. I did. Right? So I have PCOS have been diagnosed, all of that. And we started infertility treatments in Kansas city. We did, um, timed intercourse, ovulatory tracking, 
IUI, and then ultimately ended up doing IVF. And that's how I got my one little friend who is now almost six. Wow. Yeah. 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 Okay. Let's define a couple of those terms because we use a lot of lingo. So polycystic ovarian syndrome, right? PCOS. And then um, intrauterine insemination, IUI. Yes. And IVF is in vitro fertilization. Okay. I have done all of the infertility things. All of the things. All the things. So you have a newborn at home and you have a repairman coming over and what happens? (laughs) Oh yeah. Okay. So I was telling Dr. Moyers this and it's so crazy. So I had probably, I don't know, a three or four month old at home breastfeeding. Of course I have my handyman coming by. I walk out into our laundry room was like, it was like a small disconnection from our house and our dogs would go in and out and all that stuff. So I walk out there and there is a dead kitten. The dogs have (laughs) this mama cat went under our house and had her kittens my dogs I had four at the time like Dr. Doolittle over here (laughs) so I go out there I'm holding my baby I see this poor dead kitten and the dogs are so proud they have brought this prize inside they are just gleaming with pride here's the kicker (laughs) I can't bring myself to pick up this dead cat I just cannot do it and I can't find my bra the repairman, the handyman is coming over. I cannot find my bra. My breastfeeding boobs are like all over the place. The baby is crying. I call Paul at work. I said, hey, you need to come home. The dogs have killed this kitten. He's asking me, why did they kill the kitten? I don't know why they killed the kitten. All I know is I can't handle this now and I can't find my bra. <laughs> Dwayne, the handyman is coming and I cannot find my bra. And you were obsessed I mean, over like, the yeah, fact was, that your bra was missing. Yes, I was obsessed over the fact that I could not find my bra because the breastfeeding boobs, as all of you know, are out of hand. They are out of control. And so I'm crying because I can't find my bra. I'm not even worried about the dead cat so much. I just can't, I can't get anywhere that I can't find my bra. So Paul comes home. He's bad at the dogs. I'm beside myself still because I can't find my bra. And he's coming anytime. The handyman is coming. So I, Paul's like, what is going on here? He disposes of the cat. And he's telling me even before he does that, he's like, go find your bra. Like, don't worry about anything else. Go get your bra. Because when you're nursing, you have a very specific oh, bra or two yes. that you can wear. Yes. And I was like, the tank top at this point is not going to cut it. I need a bra. So, so Paul did his husband duties and disposed of this poor cat and was yelling at the dogs. And I was like, thank you. Good day. I'm going to go find my bra now. Yeah. Back to work you go. Back to my bra hunting. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about mom life a little bit. Yeah. Adjusting to having a baby after it's oh. just been the two of you is, is hard, you know, Mm -hmm. making that adjustment to motherhood and who am I as a mom? Yes. At what point did you go back to work? I went back to work when Hudson was, Hudson is my six-year-old, almost six-year-old, when he was almost 15 months. Okay. And um, I had felt ready when he was about 10 months, Um, but I was still breastfeeding and I really didn't want to hassle with pumping and it was just easier to stay home. But um, I felt really guilty for saying this out loud that I lost a piece of myself staying at home, that I was meant to be more than just a stay at home mom for me. Um, that it was great. And I was very grateful that I got to do it because I did enjoy it. 
I enjoyed it up until that point, but I thought if I have to watch one more episode of Mickey Mouse Clubhouse or, <laughs> or change one more diaper without some sort of break, I'm just going, my head is just going to explode. And I wasn't finding as much satisfaction in it as I did in the early stages. So going back to work for me was really for my own mental health. Yeah. Well, and I think it's so unique for all women, right? Yeah. Some people have to go back to work, right? For sure. Some people have always wanted to be a stay-at-home mom mm -hmm. and that is their calling, right? And right. then there's some who are somewhere in between, like I need a part-time job yeah. just for a little break, for a little autonomy, for me feeling like myself using my own brain again. Yes. Aside from wiping heinies and <laughs> delivering snacks, right? Oh, all day, the snacks. Yeah. <laughs> so I love that, you know, when you were ready, when you felt it was right for mm -hmm. you and your um, son that you went back. So let's talk about then when life really threw you a curveball. Yeah. So, so December of um, 2017, let's see, Hudson was a little over two and a half. I was working my little part-time gig and Paul had been complaining of shortness of breath and not being able to sleep and just a cough and everything for about six months. I'll, I'll fast forward to this then. Paul passed away December 30th of 2017. Long story in the back is that he had had just chronic, chronic medical conditions that um, he did not take care of. Um, I call it just multi-system organ failure. He had vascular arteritis, severe, severe congestive heart failure, kidney failure, um, you know, he didn't need heart or kidney surgery. He needed a new heart and new kidneys. And he had been very outspoken that he did not want dialysis for whatever reason that was. Um, he had managed his own health for, oh gosh, more than a decade. He had had a major surgery in med school when he was diagnosed with this Takeyatsu arteritis um, and never followed up. I mean, so that would have probably been 15 years, 14 or 15 years that he checked out and never followed up. Um, so that was a real curveball. Yeah. Um, in the sense that it, I didn't really even have words for it right. at the time. Well, nobody expects to be a, a widow or you know, yeah. three years into your marriage or how, I, how mean, far? I was, gosh, we got married in 2012. So five years. Five years, into, Five years marriage. into our marriage, but Paul had only been in private practice three. Right. Yeah. Cause y'all got married during fellowship. Yeah. Yeah. And Hudson is two at this point. He is a little over two and a half. He would have turned three in April. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you know about his health concerns going into the relationship and like, what were your feelings leading up to that, seeing that he was struggling, but sure. wasn't getting the help? Sure. So I knew that he had had this surgery and I knew that he had been sick, but to what degree, to the degree that he was going to pass away when our kiddo was two and a half, I'm, I'm blindsided, completely blindsided. I mean, I thought maybe he needs a stent. Maybe he needs... I don't know, more medicine, whatever it is. Um, I would have never in a million years thought that it had gotten to a point where it was almost irrevocable, irreversible. 
Um, when his symptoms started, um, he kept telling me, you know, I'm, I can't sleep. I'm, it went from propping up two pillows to right before he passed away, he was sitting up upright. I mean, just head nodding, falling asleep, like a narcoleptic almost. Um, and I had made him two or three cardiology appointments. And he had told me, I know I have CHF. This is how people feel with congestive CHF. Congestive heart failure. Yes, congestive heart failure. This is how people look with congestive heart failure. I know I have it. And this was within 2017. And I said, you have to go see someone. Paul, like go see somebody. And he would say, no one understands my disease. Nobody's going to get it. Um, just on and on. You know, I'm busy. I'm working. No one's going to get it. I've taken care of myself. X, Y, and Z. Every excuse that you could think of, he had it. So when he finally, I had made him two appointments and he no showed both. So come Thanksgiving of 2017. And I look back at pictures now and it's clear as day. He looks terrible. He looks swollen, almost gray. Mm -hmm. And so um, he finally gets in. He gets in, things had kind of fallen apart with his job in Lubbock. He was going to be going to San Antonio to start a new thing with someone. One of his buddies actually from residency was at MFM also, maternal fetal medicine. So he was going to go to San Antonio. So in around Thanksgiving, he finally gets in with cardiology and he's scared. I mean, I, it's palpable. Like his fear is palpable because I feel like he knew in his heart that it got so bad that he didn't want to go. So he goes in, not even cardiology for, to urgent care for a cough and they do a chest x-ray. I mean, and his heart is crazy enlarged. And the guy there, the physician that saw him said, Hey man, you need to go to the ER. Like you need to be admitted for studies. And Paul said, I'm not going like, you can either give me what you can give me for bronchitis or whatever he had but I'm not going. And so he comes home and he tells me this, my heart is enlarged. And I said, you have to, you have to go, you have to see someone. And he's like, I'm just afraid that if I go, I'll never get to leave. And I said, Paul, like that, it's just so pro it's very profound for me to look back on this in the moment. He I knew, was, he he knew. Was dying. right, right. In the moment I was busy. I had my kiddo, I was working all of the life things. So He's doing that and he still can't get rid of his cough because it's not bronchitis. It's congestive heart failure, right. right? So he finally goes in in December. I go with him. He's leaving out huge chunks of his medical history, talking to the nurse. And here I am, his wife, <laughs> the nurse piping up. I'm mm -hmm. like, you're here. Like, let's tell them there's no reason in mind while we're here. We're here. So we're telling them, they tell him, okay, well, you need labs, you know, you need an angio. We need just everything, imaging, echo, all the stuff. So he tells them, I'm not ready because he, for whatever reason inside, he's not ready. Somehow he goes back in between somewhere, he gets labs done. And of course his labs are indicative that he's in heart failure. He makes it through Christmas. I do not know how the 27th, 26th, he calls the cardiologist and says, hey, I'm really feeling bad. Can I come in? And he says, okay, our office is closed on the 26th, but I can meet you in the ER. Paul says, I'm not going to the ER. 
I'm not waiting. He said, you won't have to wait. I'll just admit you, you'll be mine. We'll go from there. No, I'm not going. So he finally goes in on the 27th to the cardiologist's office. They do labs, they do his imaging. Of course he gets admitted for severe congestive heart failure. Um, he has mitral valve regurgitation. His, oh my gosh, his aortic um, like output. I'm not sure if that's the right word I'm using. It was like at 20% when it should have been at 60, 70, 80%. I mean, they said he was just like a walking time. Like, I don't know how he had made it this long. So he, um, they move him to ICU. They do like the angiogram with dye and that sent his already shot kidneys just into even worse. Like, I feel like that just sent him over the edge. So I, they had said, Hey, we can't keep you here. You're past our like acuity capabilities. We're going to send you to Baylor Dallas. So I go up there and we're trying to, um, like figure out transport, you know, and I walk in and he's in ICU and he looks gray, bad. And like, I, you don't have to be a nurse or a medical person to look at someone and just say this, like my immediate thought was you're not leaving here alive. Like yeah, you immediate, just knew I just gut. knew in my heart. And he said, um, like I started crying and he goes, what's wrong. And I said, I just, I remember it like yesterday. He said, I said, you just don't look good. Like what else am I supposed to say? Right. You know? And then like he took my hand or I held his hand and he just said, I'm sorry. And I said, what are you sorry for? And he said, like, I'm sorry you've raised Hudson alone. I'm sorry. I haven't been a good partner to you. You know what? I'm sorry, wherever we are in our relationship. And I said, like, don't, now is not the time for that. Let's get you better. And we'll worry about any and all of that at a later day. And so they transported him to Baylor, Dallas. And then he coded within two hours of being at Baylor. Wow. I mean, and they had told us like being at Baylor and the coding was all just very surreal. It was like an out of body experience for me. I'm sure. And then um, like the next day they had come in and basically said he doesn't need heart surgery. He needs a new heart. He needs new kidneys. And he had said to a room full of providers, I do not want dialysis at Baylor like right before he coded. It was like impending doom, like right. walking back through it. He was trying to take off his leads and he would, he said, I want to go home, mm. you know? Yeah. So, wow. I can't even imagine being in that moment. I am so sure it would be a total out of body experience. <laughs> and then just like, how the hell do you get yourself back home? Like, how do you pick up the pieces and yeah. go back home to your baby knowing your husband's never going to come home? I mean, like, where do we go from here? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. How do you find your way back out of that? So when did you decide to move back to the Fort Worth area? I had known probably from the get after Paul passed away, there's nothing holding me in Lubbock. My family is not here. So immediately, I mean, once things settled down, I knew that I was not going to be staying in Lubbock for any reason. Right. I didn't need our huge house. I didn't right. need, I just had no reason to stay. Right. So right. Um, I worked 
for, I took that month off of January. My boss was great. A wonderful OBGYN that I worked for. Um, and then I think in March, I just told her I can't work anymore. I have to find a house. Like I'm driving back and forth with my almost three-year-old. It's just too much. She was totally understanding. She's like, I get it. Like this, this is just kind of a, like a stop in the road for you. Yeah. You know, like, or Lubbock was, yeah. you know, right. I know that you're not going to be here forever. So. Um, okay. So you find a new home in Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. You have family and friends right. because you're from Fort Worth yeah. and you find the warm place. Yes. Tell us about the warm place. What is it? What resource okay. is it for people who are in the Dallas Fort Worth area and how it's you know impacted oh, you in Hudson? The warm place is wonderful. So actually we were out playing in the yard and one of my neighbors had kind of heard my story throughout the neighborhood. And it's not like I go around saying, hi, I'm a widow or my husband died, you know, and he had mentioned the warm place and it was, um, the warm place is grief counseling for people that have lost a loved one. Um, and I'm not sure if you have to have kids or not to attend the warm place, but, um, Obviously my kiddo was three at the time and um, they grouped us by age. So we were in a pre-K group, which was um, three-year-olds to five-year-olds. They would go for an hour and like do grief counseling and playtime basically. Yeah, play therapy. And then the adults would um, speak about their experience as well. And a lot of the kids, some had lost a parent, some had lost a sibling, some had lost a grandparent that they were very close to all of them had a significant loss in their life, but really what brought us together was that they were all three to five and the warm place is wonderful. I can't say, I don't even have the words to say what a great place it is. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, just like we're sharing women's stories and we believe that there's power in our shared experiences Mm -hmm. and owning our experiences, right? There's something to be said about being with a group of people who are going through the same thing totally as you at the mm-hmm. same time I mean of course everyone's got their different circumstances sure. but they've all lost someone and yeah. they can understand your grief and it's just they're holding space for you yeah. to sit in it totally and we're all at the same stage in parenting right give or take you right. know so we have these littles but we're all still trying to wrap our mind around some people's deaths are fresh, more fresh than others and others are older, but no, it's, um, it's very empowering and very, um, I don't have the words, but just a wonderful, wonderful place. And it's, it's free. That's amazing. Yes. What, what service is it through? I'm not sure. It's like a non-for-profit though. Oh, like, okay. You just get in touch with them and they say, hey, you're going to be in the pre-K group and you go Wednesdays at noon. How cool is that? It's wonderful. That is amazing. Yeah. So that really helped you to deal with your own grief and helped Hudson to see, oh, okay. Other kids have yeah. lost their loved ones too. And just kind of help you figure out how to manage life yeah. in new and terms. Yeah, totally. And, you know, age appropriate information about grief for Hudson, you know, and I thought, how do you even talk to a three-year-old about their parent dying? And there's no manual on this. There's no manual on this. Right. And there's something, um, they would do things like, 
okay, we're going to look at things that are living and things that are not living. So things that are living like require oxygen and have a heartbeat. Things that aren't living don't. And that's just something very simple and concrete that a three-year-old, whether they're taking it in or not, it, it's they're hearing it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so it's a very, very nice way um, for them to, you know, understand grief. Oh, I'm sure that grief bites you some days more than others, even though it's been three years now. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just a normal part of it, right? Like you manage your mind around that grief. Um, and I'm sure for Hudson as well, like that's going to continue to yeah. evolve over the years as he grows and understands more and has sure. questions. Yeah. You know, and it was hard for me at first. Um, I feel like I did not really grieve Paul's loss probably until six to seven months after because I was moving. I was just trying to get my life in order, trying to keep up with the day-to-day stuff. And one day I woke up and I like texted my friend and I said, oh my God, Paul's dead. Just like that. And I said, like, Paul is not coming back. It was like, it took life kind of settling down and hitting kind of a routine for me to just be like, oh my, like, it's very surreal. It's very awkward to say it that way. But um, I really had an aha moment six to seven months after he passed. Wow. Because, you know, we had, I had taken him out of preschool. We had moved to Fort Worth. Then we had the whole summer Mm -hmm. of just having fun, doing summer things. And then when he got back in school, that's when I feel like it really kind of hit me. Yeah. Um, And ebbs and flows with grief. And one day Hudson said, we were at Casa Manana at Casa Camp and it was like our first theater day or whatever. And they were going around the room and they said like, the moms and dads can stay, you know, and watch the first 10 minutes. And Hudson said, matter of factly, not sad, not upset. Just very matter of fact, he said, my dad died. And I mean, like the looks on everyone's faces is like, (gasps) I can only imagine everyone's response. You know, Hudson is just sharing his truth and everyone else is attaching all the meaning and sadness and loss to, uh, to his statement, (laughs) but kids are just so resilient with each passing year and his and Paul's birthday are so close together that, um, there's probably sadness and joy in both. Um, and we always celebrate Paul by doing a balloon release with the number of balloons that he would be that year. Okay. So this year it'll be 44. So we just do 44 balloons and I let Hudson like draw something or write something. We tie it on there and he just lets him go. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And bake like brownies because that was Paul's favorite thing. So just try to incorporate all of that and try to remind him that, um, you know, Paul was so happy that, I mean, Paul had a birthday and then 11 days later, Hudson came. So that it was a really joyful time for us as well. So let's talk about moving forward and what that looks like for Lauren moving forward. Something for me was just that it's, it's simply not a choice. Like I'm still, when Paul passed away, Hudson was two and a half. And so, um, I still had a two and a half year old. My life did not stop. And that 
I guess to some people may sound insensitive, but to me, it was just like, my kid is not going to stop waking up at seven in the morning. He is not going to stop asking for snacks all day. He, I, <laughs> I still have diapers to change. I mean, my life as a mom and a provider still carried on no matter that Paul passed away. Um, so de- redefining life in that sense was, um, really finding myself, just taking a good, hard look at myself. Um, I got back into working out. I went to personal counseling, which really opened my eyes about a lot of stuff. Um, helped me set boundaries where I needed to be, um, Hudson did play therapy and just getting back to work for you has been wonderful. It's been a great outlet, um, a great outlet and has given me back a piece of myself that I enjoy. I mean, I enjoy being a nurse um, and I just enjoy being something other than just a mom. So that sounds maybe terrible to some, but <laughs> that's no, I mean, we, it is I think we me touched and... on this a little bit that, you know, every mom, their, their goals and their needs change and shift. And maybe somebody always wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and they're totally yeah. that. And somebody wants to work part-time and somebody yeah. knew that they were always going to be a working mom. You know, right. we have all the spectrums Yeah, and we have to just support each other. I've found my tribe, my dear friends, Adrian, all of them that know my situation, are supportive no matter what. That's just where it's at for Hudson and I is just people that we love dearly and care about and just support us. It's redefining life on your own terms. Totally. You get thrown some serious curveballs. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The ultimate curveball. But, you know, with life comes just seasons of change. And unfortunately, it was a huge season of change. Again, I just go back to like, I didn't feel like I had a choice. It was like, you know, grieve Paul as best that I could and still can, but I have to carry on. I mean, life goes on. It doesn't take away from Paul passing away or the fact that, you know, Hudson will never have any live memories of his dad, which is Mm -hmm. every time I think about that, I could almost cry. It's just so, so sad. Um, but all I can do is move forward and try to make the best memories that we can as a family with Hudson while remembering Paul, obviously along the way. Right. And keeping those conversations open and yeah, that's just, it's beautiful because it keeps it alive in his mind as well. Totally. I just want to say thank you for being open to sharing your story. You have been such a big piece of Sky Women's Health getting even up off the ground just from interacting as a mom friend and then being interested (laughs) when you seeing that what I was planning and saying I'm going to jump on board. Um, You're just such a big piece of that and you bring such a big heart to Sky and it's just it's all over you patients love you because you are just so social and friendly and (laughs) it's amazing to you know, hear the backstory, right? We've all, we all oh, yeah. have struggles. Everybody's struggling with something, right? Mm-hmm. And so just to allow patients to know you even on a deeper level, mm-hmm. I just thank you for being willing to do your story because I'm sure sometimes it just feels raw and yeah, you know, other, other moms may be struggling in this same boat sure. and your story helped them. So 
just thank you. And I hope well, that I hold space for you to tell your story. Yes. And, you know, anyone that can relate to it on any level, whether it's just momming, whether it's being a widow, whether it's going back to work part-time, any part of it, but thank you for allowing me to get a huge piece of myself back. And I enjoy nursing. I enjoy working with you and for you. And I just love our Sky community that we've built. And I hope it continues to grow. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I know everybody's going to just treasure this. So uh, we'll uh, talk soon. <laughs> okay. Bye guys. Thank you for joining us today for episode 18, Curveballs. And thank you, thank you again to Lauren for sharing her story. You can find us at www.skywomenshealth.com and at Sky Women's Health on Instagram and Facebook. We are so pleased to serve the women of DFW. If you have back pain or pelvic pain in pregnancy or postpartum, that is our niche. We love helping you to change as your body changes with hands-on drug-free osteopathic adjustments by a board-certified OB-GYN. So look us up. You can request an appointment from the website. Give us a call. Happy to chat. Discuss any questions you might have. Have a great week. Until next week, be well.